Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to one spot this morning, James chapter 3. We're going to jump right into the message because we have a ton of ground to cover. Last week we had eight Subpoints this week we have nine subpoints and only two main points. So there's going to be a lot of note taking, but what we're talking about is essential to being able to walk out a life of godly wisdom. Last week we talked about the ways of the fool. Next week I plan on talking about the behaviors of the sage. This week though we're kind of building a bridge between the two uh, from foolishness to godly wisdom. And it's out of James chapter 3 where we will do this. But if you're the type of person that kind of checks out in a message, you tune out, here's what I need you to remember more than anything, all right? Wisdom thrives in the soil of life. Which type of wisdom is determined by which kind of soil? The title of this message is The Tale of Two Soils. And we're going to read together in James chapter 3 about the two types of wisdom and thus the two types of soil where these types of wisdom seem to thrive according to Scripture. So let's read together James chapter 3 starting in verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways... Hit the pause button. We would kind of ascribe a term to this phrase, someone who is wise and understands God's ways. We would say spiritually mature. If you are spiritually mature, watch this next part, prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life. In other words, don't tell me, show me. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, I'm going to give you two one-liners before we move on to the next verse. I don't normally do this. I'm just kind of throwing this into uh, this passage. But uh, if we're going to talk about godly wisdom, we have to understand what spiritual maturity is. And too many of us believe that spiritual maturity is somebody who knows a lot about the Bible. We listen to somebody teach out of Scripture and say things we've never heard, and we just, oh, they're so spiritually mature. Okay, here's what you need to know. Spiritual maturity is not about how much Bible you know, but it's all about how much Bible you apply. This is what James is saying. If you really are spiritually mature, prove it. Don't tell me how much Bible you know. Show me you're spiritually mature by how much Bible you apply. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just not smart enough to be as spiritually mature as everybody else. I, I'm never going to be like them. I don't know as much about the Bible as they do. Here's, here's what I've learned in almost 20 years of ministry, that it is better to know one thing in the Bible and apply it than it is to know everything in the Bible and apply none of it. So that should provide some relief for those of us who feel like, well, I just don't know the Bible as much as so-and-so. It's not about how much Bible you know. How much Bible do you apply? If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you are bitterly jealous, some translations say have bitter envy, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. How would you like to be called all three of those things? You are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, Preston, I would not like to be called those three things. Great. So remove jealousy and selfish ambition from your heart. You never have to worry about being called those things. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there, in that place, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Anybody wake up this morning and say, you know what I feel like? I feel like experiencing disorder and evil of every kind. No, you didn't, right? Okay, do, do you sense God speaking through James here and saying, this is serious. Jealousy and selfish ambition are serious. They create catastrophe. Verse 17 transitions, though. But the wisdom from above, so presenting another type of wisdom, so the first was earthly wisdom, now, now James is saying the wisdom from above, or godly wisdom, or heavenly wisdom, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, James in verse 18 likens this conversation, these two types of wisdom. He puts it in the middle of a conversation about farming. So to really understand not just the two types of wisdom, but if you understand the two types of wisdom, then you understand the type of soil these two wisdoms thrive in. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk through James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and take a look at the two types of soil that wisdom thrives in, all right? Here's the first point. We have to talk about the soil of earthly wisdom. The soil of earthly wisdom. Now, I'll just give you just kind of a high-level overview of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom comes to me. It just comes to me. I'm just so smart. It just comes to me. Earthly wisdom comes to me, is focused on me, and benefits me. This is how you know the wisdom you've got is earthly. If it comes to you, rather than from God, it just comes to you. Some idea is focused on me and benefits me. Now, the two things that James says you will find in the soil of the life of someone who operates in earthly wisdom are bitter envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition. So let's talk about envy for a moment. Let me give you a, a good working definition of the word jealousy or envy. A feeling of resentment because of what someone else has or does. A feeling of resentment because of what someone else has or does. Now, most of us think about jealousy like this. Jealousy is when you want something someone else has really badly, right? But jealousy is actually worse than that. Jealousy is when you want something somebody else has so badly, because think about it, covetousness is just to want what they have, right? So it can't be the same as jealousy. Jealousy is even worse than covetousness 
Because covetousness says, I want what they have. Jealousy says, I want what they have so badly, I don't like them because they have it. This is what God is saying in James chapter 3. He's saying, listen, I will not allow my wisdom to reside in the soil that has jealousy. It won't let it happen. Because jealousy is all about me at its core. Jealousy and godly wisdom cannot exist in the same heart. One chapter later in James chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. If you're reading in your own Bible uh, or in your notes, circle that word scheme or the equivalent in your translation. You scheme and kill to get it. The implication there is you'll do anything you have to do to get what you want. That's what jealousy motivates us to do. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Here's the big reason why godly wisdom cannot survive in soil with jealousy. Because godly wisdom benefits all of us. But jealousy focuses solely on me. So God says, ah, Preston, when you operate in jealousy, I can't trust you with my wisdom because you're turning this into a competition. I don't want you using my wisdom. And that ties into the next one, selfish ambition. The Bible says godly wisdom cannot survive in the soil where there is selfish ambition. Here's the definition of that. The self-seeking pursuit of higher office by unhealthy or unfair means. I love that part of that definition. It's the, de the desire to be further than everybody else and the willingness to do so by unhealthy or unfair means. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing, absolutely nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit. Why is selfish ambition such a big deal? One of my heroes, Pastor Jimmy Evans, says uh, he's studied the word ambition all through Scripture, and he says there's not one good word in the Bible for ambition. All ambition is bad. All of it. Well, why is it so bad? Here's why. Selfish ambition dangerously clouds your judgment. I can prove it to you. Go back to the night of the Last Supper. Think about this. Imagine you were one of the disciples, and you're sitting at the table. You don't know the next day Jesus is going away to be crucified. This is his last meal, and he's gathered you around the table, and he breaks the bread and shares the cup with you. This is a holy, holy moment. And what does Luke record is the next conversation out of the disciples' mouth after this holy moment. It's not, wasn't that amazing? People are going to talk about us for the rest of human history. No, no, no. What do they start talking about? Luke records that the next conversation out of their mouth was an argument about who was considered greatest among them. Can you even imagine? They were sitting with the great one. Hashtag not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> that was two weeks in a row I've used a cheesy joke. 
They're sitting with greatness. How in the world, after this holy moment, do they transition into an argument about who among them is considered greatest? Not even who is the greatest, who is considered the greatest. How does it get to that point? Here's how. Selfish ambition clouds your judgment. And here's what we see in that moment with the disciples. That you can be in the room with the God of the universe. Fully God, fully man. The Son of God was in the room. And even though he was, when selfish ambition is is in your heart, you'd rather talk about you than him. God says, listen, I will not give my wisdom to someone who has selfish ambition in the soil of their life. Why? Because if you're concerned about getting ahead of everyone else, you will be tempted to use God's wisdom as a weapon to run past them. So only earthly wisdom thrives in the soil where there's selfish ambition. Now, before we move to the second point, We need to make sure we understand the big lesson I believe God's trying to teach us through this verse talking about bitter envy and selfish ambition being in the soil where earthly wisdom thrives. And I think this is the big lesson. God's wisdom is his, and he will not give much of it to you when you're all about you. That is the lesson. Preston, when you're all about you, I will not give you my wisdom because my wisdom benefits everybody when I give it. And if you're all about you, you don't want them to win. Therefore, I cannot trust you with my wisdom. That brings us to point number two, the soil of heavenly wisdom. The soil of heavenly wisdom. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna walk through seven subpoints here based on James chapter 3, kind of the seven things, nutrients, where godly wisdom thrives. But in the same way that I gave you you kind of a high level of earthly wisdom, let me give you a high level of heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom comes from God, is focused on his kingdom, and benefits all of us. So in direct opposition to earthly wisdom, Heavenly wisdom comes from God, is focused on his kingdom, and benefits all of us. Now, remember, before we walk through this, because I know there are many of us at both campuses and watching online that would say, I want more godly wisdom. So let's take a poll. How many would like more godly wisdom? Okay, put your hands down. Let me ask it a different way. How many of you know what to do all of the time? Put your hand up. Okay, if you don't have your hand up right now, you need more godly wisdom. And here's the good news. You can have access to all of it. It's not those who are smart that get more of God's wisdom. You're going to see it's those who have these nutrients in the soil of their life whom God entrusts his wisdom to. Here's why. Knowledge is learned. Wisdom is given. Some of the best news you will hear related to godly wisdom in your lifetime. You don't need to get smarter to get more wisdom. You just need more of the nutrients mentioned in James chapter 3 for godly wisdom to thrive in your life. 
So let's walk through the list. Here's the first thing James says godly wisdom is. He says it's first of all pure. Godly wisdom is first of all pure or innocent. Now, before I even get to the word pure, we have to focus on the word first. It's very intentional. James says godly wisdom is first of all pure. So he paints this picture of, a, of an umbrella where all of the other characteristics are dependent upon this first thing mentioned, purity. He says godly wisdom is first of all pure. If wisdom from heaven is first pure, it cannot dwell in the impure. Think about why. It's pretty simple if you kind of walk down that path for just a little bit. Why can godly wisdom not thrive in soil where there's impurity? Simple. Because something that is pure could be used impurely by the impure. So God says, Preston, if you want more of my wisdom, first step, you need to walk in purity. Because if I can't trust you to walk in purity in your everyday life, I can't trust you with the kind of wisdom that fixes all the problems you face. First of all, godly wisdom is pure. Here's the second thing. Godly wisdom is peaceable which means that godly wisdom thrives in the soil that has peace all throughout the roots of everything that grows in it. Now, I don't have time to really go through this, but James, in his book, spends a good amount of time talking to the teachers of the day. And he's addressing something that Scripture calls a party spirit. Okay, We're not talking about ASU. All right, A party spirit, James says, is the result of a teacher kind of corralling people to enlarge the size of his own crowd. And teachers were using their own wisdom to do it. So they were trying to take their earthly wisdom and increase the size of their crowd by it. And James says, that's not godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom is peaceable. It looks for peace with everyone. Earthly wisdom thrives in rivalry. Heavenly wisdom crushes it. Earthly wisdom loves rivalry. Heavenly wisdom crushes it. Another way to say it is, if your wisdom causes division, your wisdom is not divine. God does not like division. And so he will not grant his wisdom to those who are looking to divide. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do you understand what that means? That means if you're in a relational situation that is difficult and you're frustrated with the person and, and you, you want to just be done with them, you want to fight with them, Think about what this means, that if you want more of God's wisdom, if you would walk into that relationship and fight for peace rather than victory, beating them, here's what God does. Here's more of my wisdom. My wisdom is peaceable. And Preston, when you are peaceable, 
you are showing I can trust you with more of my wisdom. The goal is not to beat them, son. The goal is to help them. And when you seek peace, I grant wisdom. Here's the third thing James says godly wisdom is. It's gentle. Godly wisdom is gentle, which means it thrives in the soil of someone who is gentle. The word gentle means a sweet reasonableness. A sweet reasonableness. Think about this. This is the tone we see come out of Jesus time and time again in the Gospels. Think about how many times someone came up to Jesus and asked him a question they probably should have already known the answer to, and Jesus could have been frustrated with them, he could have gotten snarky with them, and yet he wasn't. He was gentle. He was gentle with them. Well, think about this. When you experience pressure, how do you behave? Relationally, when you're under pressure and you're in a discussion, otherwise called an argument, how do you behave under pressure? Do you yell? If you do, you lose. Do you threaten them? I don't mean to hurt them, but do you threaten them with things? If you do, you lose. Godly wisdom is gentle. It has a tone. And the tone of godly wisdom is not patronizing and it's not demanding. It is gentle. Now, think about it like this. If after the service, I came up to you and I said, what is two plus two? How many of you would respond like this? For crying out loud, it's four! Anybody? Okay, if you did, I would hit you. <laughs> but no one would, right? How would most people, if not all people, respond to that question? What is two plus two? Very simply, they would respond, two plus two equals four, right? They wouldn't yell. They wouldn't raise their voice. They wouldn't hoot and holler. They wouldn't shove it in your face. Why? Because it's obvious it's the right answer. Okay, listen to me. One of the ways you know what you're saying is godly wisdom is the tone of your voice. It's gentle. I have learned after almost 20 years of being married that when I'm right and I get loud and start raising my voice and even yelling, I'm not right. I'm wrong. Because two plus two equals four. And when you have the right answer, you don't have to shout about it. Even if the other person is saying, no, two plus two equals five. What do you say at that point? Google it. <laughs> Godly wisdom is gentle. Listen, when you have it, you don't need to yell it. You don't need to shove it in their face. Jesus was constantly gentle. And remember, he grew in wisdom and in strength. He grew. Fully God, fully man. But Jesus grew in wisdom. I wonder if one of the reasons he grew so quickly in wisdom is because he was constantly gentle with people. 
that didn't necessarily deserve gentleness. Here's the next thing that James says godly wisdom is. He says godly wisdom is willing to yield. This is a big one. Godly wisdom is willing to yield. If you are in a relationship with someone, friendship, marriage, dating, any of them, if you're in a relationship with someone who is unwilling to yield, another way to say it, they have such a spirit of stubbornness that they never give in and they always have to be right. Here's what you need to know. They do not have godly wisdom. Period, point blank. Godly wisdom is not stubborn. It is willing to yield. Why? Why is godly wisdom willing to yield? Here's why. Those with godly wisdom know they don't have a monopoly on it. Somebody who actually has godly wisdom knows they don't have all of it. And so they're constantly looking for more of it. They know they don't have a monopoly on it. Here's another way to say this. Someone with godly wisdom is easily persuaded by godly wisdom. It's as simple as that. Someone who actually has godly wisdom is willing to yield any time they hear godly wisdom spoken, even if they don't like what they hear. If you've got godly wisdom, you're willing to yield. Now, some of you would say, I'm in a business where ideas are the most valuable thing. I'm constantly needing better ideas. I know God is the creator. And I would love if God would give me more ideas. When you understand that godly wisdom is willing to yield, let me help you connect that dot in your field. If the best ideas don't always have to come through you, God will gladly give you more of them. Godly wisdom celebrates whenever it is spoken, whether it comes through you or someone else at the table. Here's the next thing. James says godly wisdom is full of mercy. Godly wisdom is full of mercy. It's interesting to me that James doesn't say grace or graciousness. He says mercy. Okay, let, let's just take a poll of both campuses. Let's see which one is easier for you, mercy or grace, but I won't use the words. I'll, I'll give you a scenario and you tell me which is easier for you. Is it easier for you to give someone $100 that doesn't deserve it, or is it easier for you to forgive someone a $100 debt who owes you 100 bucks? Okay, which of you say, it's easier for me to give $100 to people who don't deserve it? Put your hands up, okay? How many of us, it's easier to forgive a $100 debt that somebody owes us? Put your hand up. Okay, same thing happened last night. We're a church with no grace, but at least we're good at mercy. Okay, here, here's what you need to understand, though, okay, because this is kind of a trick question. Godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, does not settle for the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, that's the golden rule. I think there's like a titanium rule or a platinum rule, and I think it goes like this. Do unto others as God has done unto you. 
So what does that mean? Here's what it means. It doesn't just mean you give $100 to someone who doesn't deserve it. And it doesn't just mean you forgive someone a $100 debt that owes you 100 bucks. What has God done for you? He forgave your $100 debt and gave you $100. He did both. If I would have asked that question, not one person would have raised their hand. If I would have said, is it easier for you to give $100 to the person who owes you $100? Nobody would have raised their hand. Yet this is what God did with us through Christ Jesus. He did not just give us 100 bucks. He forgave our debt and gave us eternal life through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. This is why godly wisdom is full of mercy because he is known as a God who is full of it, but God who is rich in what? Mercy and grace. Because God is full of mercy and his wisdom is pure, it is going to be full of mercy as well. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Why won't you find godly wisdom in soil where there's not much mercy? Here's why. Because when soil is low in mercy, it is high in vengeance. When soil is low in mercy, when your life is low in mercy, it will be full of vengeance. And here's what God says in essence. Preston, if you're constantly going after vengeance, I cannot give you my wisdom because you will turn it into a weapon to hurt them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, not yours, Preston. If you want my wisdom, give up the right to be vengeful. Live a life full of mercy because godly wisdom is constantly generous. It is giving more than is deserved, all the while forgiving the debt. Here's the second of the last thing James says, that godly wisdom is impartial. Godly wisdom is impartial. This word in the Greek, adiakritos, means holding to the same standard at all times. Someone who is impartial is without prejudice, and without favoritism. They don't have either one. Now think about this for a moment. This is really big for believers, for followers of Jesus Christ. Impartiality is a big deal. How do you know that you are not partial? There's a word, consistency. You're consistent with everyone. You don't change the rules with certain people because they're different than everybody else. When I go to my son's baseball games, every once in a while we'll get an umpire who has a chip on his shoulder. And for one team, the strike zone will be small. And for the other team, the strike zone is huge. And what does the team who has the bad strike zone do? They start griping. And here's what I've learned. Most coaches don't really care whether the strike zone is big or small. What do they want? They just want consistency. Just be consistent. This is what everybody wants. Just be consistent. If you're a believer, don't treat believers better than you treat unbelievers. That's being partial. Think about it like this. And this is kind of a strong one-liner. 
Jesus did not discriminate with the cross. So why would I think I can with people whose paths I cross? Jesus didn't discriminate at the cross. So why would I, as a follower of Jesus, ever be known for discrimination? This is unacceptable in the life of a believer. And I get we can all be guilty of it. Jesus was not partial. His followers better not be either. God says, listen, Preston, when you play favorites, I can't trust you with my wisdom because my wisdom benefits everybody around. And if you're just trying for some to benefit and not all, then you're not on the same page with me. And if you're not on the same page with me, I can't trust you with my wisdom. It's that simple. James chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, why is this so important when we talk about godly wisdom? Here's the reason why it's so important. God's wisdom comes from God, but can come through anyone. That's not in your notes. If you're taking notes, write that one down. God's wisdom comes from God and can come through anyone. I'll prove it. Numbers chapter 22. How many know what happens in Numbers chapter 22? God speaks through a donkey. Long before Shrek put donkeys on the map, God grabbed a donkey and spoke through him. Why is this so important to see in Scripture? I really believe God is trying to drive home the point. If I can speak through this donkey, I can speak through anybody. And when you're searching for godly wisdom, here's what those who have it know, that God's wisdom comes from God but can come through anyone. When you realize this, that God can speak through anyone, you will begin to hear God speak through everyone. Here's the last thing that James says godly wisdom is. He says godly wisdom is sincere. Godly wisdom is sincere. This word sincere in the Greek means without hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrisy or hypocrite means one hiding behind a mask and acting or pretending. This is huge. Think about every painting you've ever seen of Jesus. When you look into his eyes, what is it that most artists try and put into the eyes of Jesus in their painting? That look of gentleness and sincerity with sweet eyes that can peer into your soul without judgment. A sincerity, a realness. Okay. Here's what you need to understand. Godly wisdom can be trusted, but an insincere person cannot. Sincerity is huge in the life of a believer, and here's why. It's kind of a long one-liner, but you don't have to fill in too many words. Here's the line. The danger of insecurity, insincerity in a believer is that an unbeliever would witness it and think this thought. If this person who follows Jesus does not say what they mean, did Jesus actually mean what he said? 
if this follower of Jesus Christ is insincere, then was Jesus really sincere when he said that he loved me so much that he would die for me? The two don't seem to add up. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be known for sincerity. And, and God kind of dangles the carrot. He says, Preston, you're going to be tempted to fake it. There are going to be days where you don't feel it, but you've got to fight for sincerity, son. And he kind of dangles the carrot and he says, and when you operate with sincerity, I load your wallet up with my wisdom. Not money. My wisdom. I load you up with wisdom when you walk in sincerity. But son, when you fake it, I can't trust you with my wisdom because I don't want unbelievers getting confused by the fact that you are operating in a manner opposite of the way I move. A couple years ago, I woke up one morning and I, I told Holly, my wife, I'm gonna become a gardener. Just a random thought. I wanna learn how to garden. And so I started studying, uh, did a real deep dive on becoming a gardener. And we built these raised garden beds and, and put in, you know, sprinkler system. You know how I roll. I, I mean, it, it's, I did everything that I read, okay? And then I started researching where are the best place, places to buy seed around the country. And so I found three spots that were widely recognized as the best seed producers in the country. Because I didn't want just a tomato. I wanted the most random tomato you've ever seen that when you bit into it, you thought Jesus was going to come back. And so I found the seed for it. And I was looking for all these peppers. I like hot peppers. And I, I found these peppers you can't find hardly anywhere else. And I bought nearly a hundred different types of seed. And that first year, I, I put the seed into the ground. I watered like I thought I was supposed to. And a funny thing happened. Nothing grew. <laughs> I thought God was punishing me in some way. There were no tomatoes. The leaves weren't very green. I was so excited about making my own salsa. It's like my love language. There were no peppers. So I got my friend Matt Birkenfeld involved, who grew up on a farm, whose father owns a very successful soil amendment company. Matt came over and he took some soil out of my raised beds and he sent them away to his dad to be tested. And after the results of the test came in, his dad called him and said, you've got a problem. Your soil is bankrupt of some essential nutrients. And I took that very personally. But then he went on to say, if you'll just add this level of these nutrients, watch how everything thrives. So we had all the, the, the necessary nutrients sent to us. We put it into the soil, and wouldn't you know, the very next season, I had a forest of peppers. Like I had overplanted them. It was literally like the Amazon forest. There were so many peppers. If you would have come back into my backyard and walked through my pepper forest, you would have uncontrollably yelled out, Ay -ay -ay! I'm just saying, they exploded. 
Why? Is it because the seed was so good? No. It's because the soil had what it needed to help the good seed thrive. Wisdom thrives in the soil of life. But which type of wisdom you have is determined by what's in your soil. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.